repeat after me and say, Father God, I'm here today seeking a word from you. So open my ears that I can hear. Touch my heart so that I can feel. And renew in me a right mind so that I will do. This is my prayer in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Listen, let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 17. Find your way to verse 20. Find your way to verse 20. We've dealt with 1 Samuel chapter 15 as we kicked off this great series on last week entitled Be Obedient. And we understood that we have to have a willingness to obey. Today we find ourselves in 1 Samuel chapter 17, skipping down to verse 20, but allow me to give you a little background as we head that way. What is happening now is the Israelites are going to war with Saul and King David. Saul, David is the king, but he's not appointed king as of yet. And so here it is that Saul and the Israelites are going to battle, and this is the battle that we've come to know as the fight against Goliath. And so here in the text, what has happened is Jesse has already told David to go and take care of his brothers, to look out for his brothers and give them everything that they need. And so we find in the text that David is on his way. He's just arrived. And that's where we pick ourselves up at verse 20. Amen. Verse 20 reads, if you can follow along with me and says, so David arose early in the morning and left the flock with the keeper and took the supplies and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the circle of the camp while the army was going out in the battle array, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines drew up in battle array, army against army. Then David left, left his baggage in the care of the baggage keeper and ran to the battle line and, ent and entered in order to greet his brothers. As he was talking with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine from Gath, named Goliath, was coming up from the army of the Philistines, and he spoke these same words, and David heard them. When all the men of Israel saw the man, they fled from him and were greatly afraid. Verse 25, then the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who is coming up? Surely he is coming up to defy Israel. And it will be that the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. Then David spoke to the men who were standing by him saying, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is the uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God? The people answered him in one accord with this word saying, thus it will be done for the man who kills him. Now Elah, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. And Elah anger burnt against David and he said why have you come down and with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness he's going to talk about how many sheep David had them few sheep in the wilderness I know your insolence and your wickedness of your heart for you have come down in order to see the battle but David said what have I done now was it not just a question then he turned away from him to another and said the same thing. 
And the people answered the same thing as before. Verse 31, when the words which David spoke were heard, they, came, they told them to Saul, and he sent for him. Verse 32, David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail on account of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. For a moment today, as we look into this text, I want to simply title it, Having an Obedient Heart. Having an Obedient Heart. You may be seated on today. Uh, we're dealing with being obedient is the series. And in this series, we understand that it relates to stewardship. It relates to stewardship and the importance of what it means to be a good steward in your day-to-day -day life. Um, we understand if you're not a good steward, then you're a bad steward. And we don't want to be bad stewards. Amen. And we understand that stewardship is not about what you're going to give the church or how much the church profits from what you sow into the church. Stewardship is a relationship between you and God. We understand that as it relates to stewardship, steward is nothing more than a manager. And every manager realizes what? He has an owner. And if he has the owner, that means that he has someone he has to answer to. So if I'm the steward, if I'm the manager, that would make God what? my owner, which means if God is my owner, then anything that I do under his authority directly reflects and benefits him. See, some of us have a misunderstanding that everything we do is about who we're helping and who we're serving and what we're giving, but everything that we do should be about God obtaining the full glory, the full honor as it relates to everything that we're doing in our lives. So when we're asking you to be a good steward, it's not just about your money, it's about your lifestyle. Are you really going to do what you're supposed to do in the eyes of God so that God can truly get the glory that he deserves from your lifestyle? And so we understood that we have defined what stewardship is. We've defined what it means to be a good manager. Now that we know what it is to be a good manager, we have to get to understanding the attributes of a good manager. Where, what areas do I need to perfect in my life so that I can be found to be a good steward in the eyes of God? The first thing I want to lift up and give you an opportunity to understand is you have to get your heart right. You can't be a good steward with a bad heart. It's like trying to be a football player with a bad heart murmur. It's just not going to work out for you. Eventually, it's going to catch up to you. And, and this heart situation is something difficult for some of us to understand because when the Bible talks about heart, you hear heart mentioned over and over and over again. It's not talking about the emotion that is related to it when you want to tell your Valentine, I heart you or I want to be with you. And you put these little love and hugs and X's and O's all over the little notes. Y'all know the little notes we used to fold up in school and pass around. Yeah, it's not about that. The heart is the lifeline of an individual. If you don't have a heart, you don't have a life. And, and it was, I wanted to make sure you understand how difficult it is to comprehend the heart. I, I didn't do well in biology. It was not my thing. And so Google is my best friend when it comes to things like that. And so I went ahead and Googled. I wanted to see, give me a diagram of what the heart looks like. And when I got in there, it was more complicated than what I thought. It's, it's the right ventricle, the left ventricle, the right aorta, the left aorta. It has all of these valves and these stems, all of this going around. I just thought it was this cute little thing on the inside of my chest that pumps. But it has all of these moving parts that come around. My wife had to sit there and explain it to me. She told me, listen, some of it pumps your old blood in. It's not necessarily bad blood, but it's old blood. And it has to come in and it has to filter through one side just so that it can be clean 
and be oxygenated or whatever it is. Oxygen has to be pumped into my blood so it can come through the other side just to flow back through my body all over again. And it's so many moving parts and moving pieces. And I had to ask her, what happens if one part of my heart shuts down? She says, you have problems. If any part of your heart decides to stop functioning at any time, you have problems. You're telling me as much as this thing looks like a Dallas freeway, I can't just take a loop around and catch another part of it and I'm going to be okay? She says, no, if any part of your heart shuts down, you got problems. You telling me that I would have to go to the hospital. There's nothing you can do. No amount of compressions or anything would, would fix it right here at home. You know how they do on TV. They, they grab a needle, poke it in the chest, and you get none of that. If any part of your heart shuts down, you have problems. And so when the Bible speaks in reference to the heart, we need to take it a little bit more seriously because the heart is our lifeline. The heart is, is what allows our brain to even have the time to think. If our heart's not pumping, we ain't got to worry about our brain functioning. So I need to make sure the heart is pumping so that all the blood can flow. And then once I get your heart right, then I can deal with your mind. I can change the way that you think about a few things. I can change the way that you handle a few things. But I got to make sure what's keeping you alive. It's right. I, I hate to tell you, but spiritually, some of our hearts are dying. Some of our hearts are missing a, a right ventricle. Some of our hearts don't have that left aorta. We're willing to take in the word on one side, but we're not willing to put out the word. Uh, we know that we are a vessel that should be used by God, that should be pumping and filtering so that not only we can live life, but we can provide life and we can share life with someone else. But something is wrong with our heart. Too many people have gotten close to it. We've been hurt. We've been disappointed. We've been let down. And as a result of it, we have now poured concrete around our heart. I didn't understand how important your chest cavity is to your heart. Do you realize that your chest cavity is uniquely designed with just enough space to keep your heart right in the right amount of place that it should be in. It allows it to pump just enough. It allows it to open its valves just enough. But if it, if it was just a centimeter off, it would be just too much space in your chest, which would allow when you move, when you shift, your heart would move around, which would then give you heart problems. We've allowed some of the wrong people in a space that's just restricted for God. We've tried to give so many people access to the one place that should be a no-no zone. The one place that should be, no, this is God's space only. We, we've given our heart to our parents. We've given our heart to our friends. We've given our hearts to our jobs. We've given our hearts to our relationships. We've given our hearts to so many people in so many places. And the thing is, when you put your heart in the wrong hands, bad things can happen. Bad things can happen. And so some of us have escaped life with just having a few spiritual heart attacks. Uh, we've been able to, to get our heart back just in time to say, you know what, I'm going to hold on to it. But when we get it back, 
It's not working the same. Matter of fact, it's hurt so bad that we have to put a pacemaker in our spiritual chest just to allow it to keep pumping because we're so hurt. We begin to, to understand that the only way that I can live now is that I add something extra to keep me safe. I want to restrict my access to people. I want to restrict my access to giving. I want to restrict my access to love. So in other words, what God has given you to be a good steward, you place restrictions around it. You place restrictions around it from the, from the understanding that the only way that I can survive is if I can keep this to myself. The only way that I can live, the only way that I can actually experience life for what it is, I have to, to guard my heart. Not guard my heart from just the enemies, but also guard my heart from God. Anytime that God is trying to use you, anytime that God is trying to put you in a place where he can benefit from you, that he can receive the glory, and you tell God no, you have just poured a little bit more concrete. You've hardened your own heart. You've you put yourself in a position where you've restricted not only what you can put out, but what you can bring in. And so it's befitting that today we, we deal with this heart issue. If we're if we're going to be good stewards, it's not about me teaching you to manage your money right. It's about fixing your heart. Because as we relate to people being consistent to going to church, it's not an issue about you don't have gas. It's about your heart's not right. When we deal with an issue of people uh, helping someone else, it's not the fact that you, you really don't care, but your heart isn't right. You had some bad experiences, and as a result of those bad experiences, you've decided that I would rather keep my distance than been used by God. It, w it would waste my time. I would just be up here preaching until I turn blue, and that's going to be hard unless I'm going to turn blue black. And, and, and I want to make sure that you understand that it's going to be an issue for me if I stand up here and want to teach to you about giving, and I hadn't talked to you about your heart. Because in order for you to be cheerful, you got to be happy. In order for you to, to love what you're doing, your heart has to be into it. So if I'm asking you to love it and you got a bad heart, it's just not going to work out right. I don't care if you is a buck 10 and you used to run a 5K. If your heart is not in the same condition it was 10 years ago, you might not make it. And so we have to deal with this heart. And when I deal with this heart issue, the first thing that comes to mind is, is those four famous words that everyone loves to use when they don't want to commit to God. God knows my heart. Oh, that's a hard one for some of us to swallow today. That's them famous words that everybody wants to scream when another believer says, listen, you're doing something wrong. I need to help you. I want to get you where you need to be. Listen, you can't tell me nothing because God knows my heart. I would hope he does. He is the one that created it. And if you had anything for me to deal with, it's too complicated. There's too many problems. There's too many issues. You're right. I don't know your heart, but I can tell you one thing, and I really need y'all to understand this, is your heart is displayed through your habits. That, that's something that we really have to, to understand. That's something we really have to hold on to and realize that, yes, God does know your heart, but your heart, even though it's hidden on the inside of you, it can be expressed and become evident because of the things that you do in your day-to-day -day life. The life that you live, the way that you conduct yourself, the people that you hang around with, the things that you say 
Anything that you operate in on a day-to-day basis that has become you, that defines you, is characterized as a habit. And I can say, yes, God knows your heart, but so do I. I know your heart because every time it's time to worship and hug and love somebody, you want to stand there with your arms folded and you're angry. I, I know that that shows me that either you've been hurt or you just don't like people. So, yes, I can see your, maybe you didn't think I can see it. Maybe you didn't realize that, that your heart is visible. Uh, there is a spiritual x-ray that can show me everything that you've been struggling with, that can show me everything that, you, that you've been putting before God, that can show me everything that you, you just don't want to let go. Pastor say, you can't talk about my giving. You don't know my heart. God knows my heart. You're right, and I know your heart too because when I pass by, 45, I seen you at Uncle Dan's picking up that, that extra bottle, and, and, and you were as excited about your extra bottle. Yeah, I know your car. You think I don't know your car? It has the light sticker on the back of it. Yeah, I, uh, that, that sticker is not just for promotion, but it's also for identification. I, I need to know when my people are on the highway pointing fingers that they ain't got no business pointing. I, I need to understand those type of things. And so you want to say, listen, Pastor, I'm broke, I'm struggling, but you wasn't struggling when you was on Facebook at the club the other night. Listen, I'm not knocking you. I'm I'm just simply saying I can see your heart. I I see where your heart is. Matter of fact, the Bible says your treasures is where your heart is. Things of value to you are exactly where your heart is. And, And so you want to say that God knows my heart. So do It's not because I'm nosy. It's simply because I care. If you're supposed to be my spiritual brother, my spiritual sister, you're related to me. And because you're related to me, I'm supposed to care about you. Y'all Christians, I'm sorry, I ain't going to point at all of y'all. Just some of y'all confuse me. You say you hate the church because the church ain't loving enough. Then when somebody is loving enough that they begin to care, you hate them because they too nosy. Where, what do we supposed to do? Where, where is the section that I'm supposed to stand in that shows I'm on the good side of both aspects of your life? I, I, I can't hate you and try to help you because you won't accept my help. But I can't love you and try to help you learn something because I'm too nosy. You all up in my, my business, Pastor. You worried about the wrong thing. God knows my heart. Listen, what we're dealing with, as we deal with this series on today, and we deal with the fact that we have to come to understand that we have to develop an obedient heart. We have to develop an obedient heart. David didn't ask for his position. David was fine being the little shepherd boy that he was, but David was called and he was anointed and will later on be appointed to his position as king. David has no control over it. The minute that David surrenders his life to God, he becomes a vessel to be utilized for whatever purpose that God desires. When God says go, David goes. When God says jump, David jumps. He doesn't ask any questions because God has chosen me. And I know that all I am is a manager. I'm worthless. My family overlooked me. When they came, when Samuel came and looked for someone to anoint, uh, my daddy called all his other seven boys up but didn't even call me. 
He left me out in the field because he thought I was a runt. He thought I was worthless. He thought I was hopeless. Listen, this is for somebody because your breakthrough is understanding that whatever people said bad about you is exactly what God is going to use to elevate you to where God wants you to be. David understood that, listen, all these things have been said about me. My daddy overlooked me, and, and now that I have been anointed, my brothers hate me. They hate me to the point that they don't understand why I, I was chosen. I'm not the best looking. I'm not, I'm not the, the, the strongest. I'm not the biggest. I hadn't won the most battles. Why is it that David is chosen? So we're in this time, we're in this text, and what is happening is Saul has lost the anointing from God. As quick as he was appointed, he was demoted. It, it, it just happened so fast. Why? Because he chose not to be obedient. We understand that a part of stewardship is what? Being obedient. If you're not willing to obey, God can't use you. And so now Saul is in position, but he's lost his purpose. He's still, he's still sitting there as king to the people. But he's lost his significance and his purpose to God. Not because God has taken it away from him, but because Saul willingly gave it up. Listen, I, I want to help you understand something. When somebody is trying to encourage you with the word of God, when somebody is trying to teach you and help you get to where you're supposed to be, all we're trying to do is help you stay in the grace and the favor of God. Uh, it's far too many of us that, uh, and I believe Pastor E. Dewey Smith said it best, I don't want to be a man that works for God and not know I'm fired. I don't want to be in position serving and not know that I'm fired. That, that would be a problem. Matter of fact, he said it exactly like this. God is the only boss will keep you on the job but not pay you. He will be the only one because of the fact that you have lost your position. And so David finds himself in a position where his father is concerned about what's going down. It's been 40 days and these boys are still out there on the battle line. His three eldest boys have went down there to fight. They're down there with Saul. And so David's father, Jesse, he tells him, he says, listen, grab some stuff. I want you to grab some stuff and I want you to take it down there. And when you get down there, get me a report on how these boys are doing. Matter of fact, not only give me a report, but bring me back a trinket. Bring me back something to show me that these boys, okay. Jesse thinks that in 40 days, they have to be kicking some real tail. They have to be doing some real good fighting for the Lord. But the truth is, these people were down there being cowards. Uh, I don't think the men themselves were cowards, but the problem is when you are following a coward that knows that he's outside of the will of God, you can't do much yourself. I never want to be the leader that is supposed to be called and anointed by God and lost my anointing, and as a result of it, my people are suffering. Listen, that's what was happening to Israel at that time. But guess what? It's their own fault. They begged for this man. They begged for a king. They begged for a man to be in leadership over them, and now man has let them down. And as a result of it, man has called them to go to the forefront, to the battle line, to face a fight that they're not ready to fight. Why? Because God is not yet there with them. God is not yet there with them. There's a reason that they didn't win the battle until David got there. The anointing was with David, not with Saul. I want to tell you that some of y'all are going and fighting fights that you ain't got no business fighting. You've lost your anointing, and you better find somebody with some. 
<laughs> so that they can help you through this situation. You're wondering why you're steady losing. You're wondering why it's been 40 days, four months, four years, and the same thing is going on where your anointing as it relates to this situation has fallen. You've done some things that you had had no business doing, and thank God for Jesus Christ that we can find some new grace and new mercy but you need to have enough common sense to realize when I'm falling out of the will of God. Stop walking around like a fool saying, God knows my heart. Do you not realize you're digging your own grave? You can say it as many times as you want. Yeah, he does. Obviously, you don't because I would be ashamed if God knew some of the things that I know about myself. And so what David does in this text, and what I want to make sure that you understand today, is as we're moving towards being good stewards, we want to know our job description. We want to know how can we be good stewards. And if God wants to use our heart, because part of being a steward is being the heart of God. And if God wants us to be his heart, what is it that a heart is supposed to do? What is it that we're supposed to do as believers as a representation of God's love, as a representation of God's grace, as a representation of God's mercy, as a representation of God's favor, if a representation of the relationship and being of a benefit in a relationship with God, what is it that we're supposed to be doing? David shows us in this text, what I want you to see is that through David's obedience to his physical father, he's, he's showing his obedience to his spiritual father. Through David being obedient and submissive to who Jesse is, he's being obedient and submissive to who God is. Because God is utilizing Jesse to give David his next assignment. Uh, some of you need to catch that word because you're hating people on your job that's trying to give you your next assignment. You, you're upset about what they're asking you to do. You're complaining about what you see. David was a shepherd. He wants to be a shepherd. He wants to stay there until it's time to be him be called king. He's fine with being in the field with his sheep. He didn't ask to go to the battle line. If he wanted to go, he would have went with the rest of them when it was time to go fight. By the fact, David was just a boy. He was runt. He wasn't big enough. He wasn't worthy as it relates to the people. So the battle line and the eyes of the people were not the place that he was supposed to be. Now, if David had the same eyes that the people had, he wouldn't have never went. He would have looked at Jesse and said, Daddy, I don't know what you're thinking. I, I know you're asking me to take this bread, but what if I take this bread and somebody hits me with a sword? I'm not supposed to be there. The thing is that when we live life, we can't look at life through the physical. We have to look at life through the spiritual. We don't have the luxury of sitting around and worrying about the worldly things and being impressed and, and wanting to be entrapped and entangled with the things of the world. Matter of fact, the word said, be ye in the world, but what? Not of the world. So we have to find ourselves in a place where we realize that God is really trying to use us. And because God is trying to use us, we have to be willing to do whatever it is that God is asking us to do. There's a story about a pastor. Pastor of a great church in Atlanta. Uh, he wasn't a pastor when he first joined that church. Matter of fact, he was a homeless man that didn't have a job. Uh, and what happened is that when he, he went to the church for help and he needed some food and, and one of the persons at the front desk says, listen, we don't have anything to help you with. He says, listen, can I at least sweep the floors of the church? Do you mind if I sweep the floors of the church just to earn something? And, and somebody felt compassion on him. They let him sweep the floors of the church. They went and got him something to eat. Before you know it, they couldn't get rid of him. He just kept sweeping the floors. He was, he was always there sweeping the floors of the church. For years, years had passed by. He was sweeping the floors of the church, always 
faithful, just serving, sweeping the floors of the church, not looking for anything, just, just found Jesus in the midst of sweeping the floors of the church. This was never his job. This was never his responsibility. But the church had went from a small state to a, a larger state. It had grew to be this huge church and over 1,500 people on a regular basis in service. It was just amazing what was happening. And here the same old man just sweeping the floors. All he's doing is sweeping the floors. And he, he never was employed, never asked for a dime. But one day he went to the Karen, it was a senior pastor at that time, and told the senior pastor, hey, pastor, I have a family emergency. I have to travel. One of my family members have died, and I, I have to go visit. Can I have some time off? It was so funny because uh, the pastor looked at him and said, listen, we don't, we don't pay you. You don't, you don't have to ask for time off. That's not something. You, you take as much time as you need. You know, take months, take, take days, whatever it is. Take whatever you need. We'll see you when you get back. Story goes that the man left, and he, he was there, and he was, he was gone for a week. Before you know it, people would show up on Sunday morning. There would be trash on the floor. There would be paper everywhere, and they didn't understand what happened. Who's not cleaning the church? And so people would be scrounging to get it done. A week passed, another week passed by. The same thing. Elders came in. What, what's going on here? Nobody's doing their job. Nobody's doing what they're supposed to do. Then they had a leadership meeting. They had a leadership meeting, and they went into the meeting, and uh, they talked to the pastor. They said, Pastor, I don't know what's going on. What ministry you have that's responsible for cleaning this building? But the restrooms are stinky. They nasty. Somebody's not doing their job. It, it, it's just not working out around here. We, we need to get this fixed. We need to reprimand this ministry. The pastor just looked at him and laughed. And he said, listen, there is no ministry. There's one man that's been doing this for years. Uh, he had a family emergency. He, he, he's not going to make it. He's not going to be here. We don't know how long he's going to be. Time went on. Remember the pastor gave him as much time as he needed. He had to travel quite a distance, and three weeks had passed. The elders had got upon themselves to start coming in and cleaning the church, being, being involved. A couple of weeks had passed. Another leadership meeting came up. The elders are complaining. Listen, you got to figure something out because we can't keep coming in here early. I, I got to change clothes. I got bleach on my best suit. It's not going to work for me. We need to hire somebody, bring somebody in. The pastor looked at them and said, listen, we, we don't have any money in the budget. We don't, we don't have anything to take. We've never had money for this position. This is just somebody that did because he wanted to. That day they had a meeting and they had a vote and it was understood that, listen, whenever he gets back or whoever gets back, they will be a paid position. Something has to happen. Let me tell you, that day uh, the pastor called that man and he told him, listen, uh, you need to come back. I don't know what's going to happen. There's problems around here. Things, things ain't working out. We miss you. And he says, well, Pastor, I would come back, but I found me a job here. And the only reason I hadn't came back is because I'm actually trying to get on my feet here. And the pastor had the pleasure of telling him that day, listen, leave that job. Whatever they're paying you, we, we will match it and, and add a little bit extra on it. But we need you to come back. And that man agreed that day to come back because of the fact that he knew that that was where he belonged. But catch this. This is the evidence of where, your, where the word of God says your gift will make room for you. He did what he needed to do without expecting anything in return. And as a result of it, when the time came that he truly needed it, God provided for him. We're dealing with a time and a group of people that only want to serve God for what they're going to get back from God. 
We're missing a time where people just simply serve God because of who he is. We, we're missing a time for simply serving God for what he's done. We, we're missing that. There's some things that we've lost in our relationship with God that has shown us that we have a heart problem. We don't want to sacrifice. We don't want to serve. We don't want to commit. We don't want to give all because of the fact that something is wrong with our heart. person that struggles with breathing, they don't just struggle with breathing because they want to. Something's wrong with their lungs. Something's hindering them from doing everything that they can to make sure that they can breathe in the manner that they're supposed to breathe. So when we're dealing with this stewardship, how can we fix our heart? How can we understand what is supposed to be in us, what is supposed to come through us, so that other people can experience it and other people can see it day in and day out? How can we expose people to the heart of God? The first thing that we have to realize is in order to expose people to the heart of God, you have to experience God's heart. You can't show people the love of God if you've never experienced God's love. That's why some of us can't direct people to Jesus because we ain't never seen the way to Jesus ourselves. We've heard of him. We know he's in a certain direction, but we're scared to evangelize and share the gospel because we don't know how we got there. We don't know the changing moment in our lives. Listen, back in my Kojic days, there was a, a person that used to sing a song that said it was Monday, Monday, Monday when I first saw the light. And the, and the burdens of my heart rolled away. They knew and identified what day it was that they gave their life to God and things changed. If we at least identify the moment, if we at least identify the opportunity, if we at least identify what happened, what was the shift, that's our testimony to be able to share with somebody else. David is about to give his testimony in just a second. He's made his way to the battle line. David is about to show us how do we get the heart of God. How did David get known as the man that's chasing after God's own heart? The first thing that David shows us is that your heart is directly related to your obedience. And he shows us that an obedient heart is a committed heart. An obedient heart is a committed heart. If you truly want to be used by God and you truly want to understand the value of who God has called you to be, you have to understand the first thing that I have to do is be willing to be committed. I have to be committed to the will of God. I have to be committed to the person of God, the purpose of God. How do we know that David is committed? Well, there's in verse 20, David shows us he's committed to his father's business by assigning his sheep to what? Another shepherd. That's what happens in verse 20. David didn't just get a new job and drop his old thing. See, some of us as believers, we get a new blessing and we drop our old blessing. Yeah, it was a blessing that God sent you to the light. And now that you didn't got blessing, your money got right, you stop coming. I'm sorry, listen, I, I just want to, I'm not trying to dig at nobody. You don't drop one blessing for another blessing. The great thing about blessings, it's like Santa Claus's bag. It just keeps you filling up. They stack one on top of the other. Y'all seen the commercial Santa Claus. He's traveling in the cartoons, and his bag is so full of toys, he goes from house to house. And if you was ever a kid that thought about believing in Santa Claus, I was until I caught my daddy putting something up under the tree. Listen, you have to understand that Santa's bag never ran out. Santa's, it just always seemed like it was full of everything that it needed day in and day out, no matter what house, and it pulled out just the right thing at the right time. This is how God's blessings is as it relates to your life. Uh, God gives you what you need, when you need. Listen, Isaiah don't let me throw away his old toys just because he got new toys. 
uh, it would be problems in our house. The minute I try to go clean up his room and I start looking at things and getting ready to take take things away, if the dog didn't chew it or the leg is broken out, Isaiah be like, but daddy, it still works. Matter of fact, it was so funny. Madison had a dog that face had been half chewed up by the dog. And I was like, Madison, just let's, let's let this dog go away. And she said, listen, she's still pretty. She could find the beauty in a jacked up situation. No matter what, she wanted to keep and hold on to it. Why? Because it was hers. It was hers. We don't drop one blessing just for another blessing. David was called to do another job assignment, but he still made sure he completed his first. As a shepherd, his first responsibility was what? To his sheep. So before he left to do what his father had now reassigned him to do, he made sure to understand there's still value in what God had originally assigned me to do. So let me make sure that this is well taken care of. Why is this important to us as believers? Because in order for us to do what God wants us to do, we have to have a commitment that surpasses all circumstances and all situations. Just because things change in your life does not mean that you get to change the way you handle what God has called you to handle. Listen, it hurts my heart when I get to call and look for people and I find out that people are leaving and not coming to church because their finances got jacked up. Listen, did you think I hug you because you give? No, that's not why. That's not why I hug you. I, I need to see you in the building. It hurts my heart when somebody then broke up and their relationship is bad and, and they've been coming to church with their boo and now their boo ain't coming no more so they ain't coming no more that they don't show up. Listen, that, that's when I need to see you the most. I don't need to see you when everything is going right in your life. I need to see you when times are hard, when you're on the brink of getting a divorce, when your money ain't right. That's why we got a church van. You better call somebody. We're here for you. David understood that he can't forsake his position. We can't forsake the assembly. We have to be committed to God throughout everything that we're going through. You wonder why the devil is on you one minute and off you next minute. Because you own God one minute, off God next minute. You should be happy when the devil is always on you. When he's always out to attack you. Why? Because he's trying to get something. He's trying to destroy something that he realizes he can't destroy. He can't break you. And so he will keep trying. He will keep trying to chisel away at it because of the fact that he knows he's not winning. That's the reason he's still after you because he ain't got you. And so he talks about that I need to show that I'm committed. As a leader, my heart is committed to what God is asking me to do. The next thing that, that David shows us within the text that I fall in love with, he shows us that an obedient heart is a concerned heart. You can't Say that you represent Christ, but you're not concerned about other people. I keep jacks in my car. Listen, don't have flats just because you want to. But I keep jacks in my car because I just have a, a natural desire to help people on the side of the road. I, I've been that individual on the side of the road that couldn't get my car up. I've been that individual that, that didn't have a tire that I needed. And so I, I'm thankful that I have a truck with jacks. And, and, and now I got the quick jacks. I just slide up under. People really be thinking I do something. I throw that thing up under there, hit it some couple of times, get it up, spin them lugs, and I'm good. But I use that because God has blessed me with it. And I don't have a flat every day, but somebody does on my way. And if I leave early enough, and I got time, I'm not in a hurry, I'm not in a rush, because I'm concerned, what if it's my wife on the side of the road one day and I'm out of town? I will need to know that somebody is helping my wife without the desire to hit on my wife. 
He don't want none of this. I need to make sure that, that, that I, I sow enough into God's bank that something comes back when I need it. And so I live a life that is concerned not only for myself, but also concerned for others. This is the whole presentation of what David is doing. The whole reason he's there is because he's present because his father has asked him to come to what? Check on his brothers. In verses 26 through David, David's presence is questioning who his brothers is, making sure that everybody's right. The first thing he does, what, is drop his bags. He drops his bag with the individual that keeps the bag, and he goes and finds his brother and wants to check on him. He just happens to overhear everything that goes on. You have to be willing. If you're going to be a, a servant of God, a steward of God, you have to be willing to be, be able to care about other people more than you care about yourself. Listen, I want to tell you right now, if you come to church this Sunday and don't come to church next Sunday and you ain't got no dire stress emergency, you don't care about me. Why can I tell you you don't care about me? Because you don't know how much I need your encouragement. You don't know how much I need to see your face. If you don't have a life or death emergency and, and we got a church van, we got every other way to be able to get to you and get you here, and you decide I'm going to be lazy and I'm going to sleep in the bed because this is my only day off, and I need it to myself, you don't care about me. Listen, I, I pastor seven days a week. I don't know when the last time I had a day off. I was blessed to have some great individuals and leaders in this building that told me, Pastor, don't rush to church this morning. We got this. We're going to take care of this. Listen, I was able to pull up and park in a parking spot without having to put. I was thankful for that. That's a day off to me. Listen, that's a vacation. God bless y'all. I thank y'all. But they do it because they, they care. And if you cared about someone else, then you would want to make sure that you give them the opportunity to be encouraged just like they encouraged you. This is what David is doing. He's, he's going not for their benefit, but because his father has asked him to. David wasn't worried about his brothers at that time. He was taking care of his sheep. He was minding his own business. But sometimes when God calls you, you got to step outside of your own issues and help somebody else through theirs. So David shows that if you really want to be a good steward, you have to not only have a committed heart, but you have to have a concerned heart. I need some of us to start fixing some of these wounds that we have that keep us from caring about other people. I need some of us to allow God to work on us and clean us out and mend this thing back together. The great thing about God being, being the potter of the situation, he can put anything back together. It doesn't matter who you are, what you've been through, who done what to you. God can fix it, but David doesn't leave it there. He go, leave it there. He goes on and he shows us that an obedient heart is a heart that is filled with courage, a courageous heart. I'm helping you here. I want to make sure you understand something because some of us have been walking through life with the spirit of fear, and God has not given us the spirit of fear. Some of us are in relationships and we're doing things that we ain't got no business doing because we're worried about if somebody's going to leave us. Somebody's on, on jobs that they ain't supposed to be on, but they're scared if I leave right now, God, what am I going to lose? God has not given you the spirit of fear. Do you not remember the God that you serve in Genesis? He just said, let there be, and it was done. The things wait on God to speak. Could it be that God has not given you what you're waiting for or what you're looking for or what you're expecting simply because of the fact that you hadn't done what he's asked you to do? He hadn't spoke to that situation yet because you hadn't moved like he asked you to move. Faith without works is dead. You're sitting there 
looking for life. You're looking for hope. You're looking for opportunity. But your hope rests in God himself. All you have to do is believe in God himself. Believe in his word. Your steps should be ordered by God's word. And so we should have an ability to be courageous as it faces with life situations. Look at what David was doing in verses 32 and 33 of 1 Samuel uh, chapter 17. It's there in the text that we'll understand that the Bible says, David said to Saul, let no man heart fail on account of me. On account of him, rather. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Catch this. These armies have been suited up, battled. They go down there every morning for 40 days. They put their wardrobe on. They looking good. They singing their war song. We, we going down to the army of the Lord. This is what they do. For 40 days, they do it. And they get down there on the threshold of the line for 40 days. Come here, Brother Dan. You a giant. Come on up here. And this giant of a man, this beast of a figure, he comes and he stands in front of them. Let me, let me just, I'm going to squat down too much because I don't want you to try me. But he, he squats down and he's just up there feed five, four, five. I smell English. This is what he's doing. And at the sound of their, at his voice, they tremble and run. Do you, do you understand that? Every morning they wake up and get dressed. Every morning. And they walk down to this battle line saying that they're fighting for God, saying that they're on the Lord's side, saying that God is going to deliver them. And when they get in the face of their enemy, the enemy just opens his mouth. And as a result of them opening his mouth, they turn and run. Some of y'all need that brought back to you. Every morning you're waking up and you're saying that God is going to do something in your life. And you get in the face of whatever God is trying to do in your life. And as a result of him speaking, you turn and run. When all God is saying to do is just stand there. If you stand there, watch what'll happen. He'll back up, Dan. Back, back up there. He'll start. And every time he moves, guess what? Get on. You better get on. You get to put your gun Dan. You're trying to try me, man. You get to win the battle simply because you want to stay in position. You're losing over and over. Cycle repeats itself over and over. Not because God is not ready to fight, but when God is waiting on you to stand in a position so that you can win, you run. Tuck your tail and run like a coward. When God is saying you should be courageous. David speaks to Saul and he says, let no man, he's still concerned about the rest of them. Let no man heart fail on account of him. Let no man be less of a man because of what they're going through. Let no man be viewed as less of a believer because what's attacking him. He says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to fight him for you. I, I want y'all to catch something. I want y'all to catch something. In a good army, the leader is always the first one on the battlefield. Uh, there's a reason they were there for 40 days. The anointing wasn't there yet. The true king wasn't there yet. Listen, if God would have gave Saul a victory right there in the moment with the wrong person in leadership, the problem is the people would have continued to praise him. Catch this. This is what I want you to understand. The reason why somebody ain't the right husband for you right now is because if God gives him to you right now, what's going to happen is you're going to give him courage and you're going to say that it was him that did it and not God. The reason why your finances are not right, right, right now because God don't want you to think that just because you got this great job, your life is together. Every time God lets somebody else do it, you turn away. 
somebody else to work, you turn away. You give them credit instead of giving God credit. God says, I'm not on Saul. Saul lost all privileges to win any battle on my behalf. So he says, if y'all going to win, you're going to win because the true king comes to, I would have had issues. If this little runt comes up and he slays this giant, and I done been down here for 40 days. God, are you telling me that it's evident that I'm not the one that you want anymore? We have to get to a point where we have so much courage because we know who we are and who God has called us to be. Everybody else who was on that battlefield was afraid. Saul was afraid because he was the one person that knew that he ain't got no rights to win. Every other battle he's won is because God has been with him. And listen, I shouldn't have came out here today. I'm sorry. Listen, let me wave the white flag. But he didn't want to look like a coward. So he drugged them out there anyway. Why? Hoping that one of them was strong enough that they would slay and that they would win this victory. There are some people in your life that's attached to you that's living off of what they think is going to come through you. Listen, sometimes you got to cut some folks. It ain't no way I would have been in that army for 40 days on that line, and I'm looking at my king wondering why you ain't done nothing. Matter of fact, why are you so comfortable you ain't even got on your armor? They can attack us at any time, and you in this tent. I ain't got on nobody's armor, and we get up every morning and walk to this line, and he's screaming at us, and we can't fight, not because we don't want to fight, but you won't give the command to fight. Why? Because you ain't anointed to do so. David comes there, and he don't ask any questions. He has the courage of a true king. I need us to become stewards that have the same courage that David has. Why? Because when we have that courage, we can begin to defeat some situations. But listen, David didn't just get that courage out of nowhere. David got that courage because he also realized that an obedient heart is a heart that's filled with confidence. He came to understand that an obedient heart is a confident heart. Why? Because what happens next in the text is that Saul basically laughs at David and, listen, you're nobody. What? Listen, it's cute that you want to come down. Did you bring the bread like your daddy asked you to? What about that cheese for the leaders? Did you get the cheese? But you're not ready for this. He begins to, to mock David for his statement. He doesn't even believe that God can use the smallest individual to slay the biggest problem. Does this sound like anybody in the room? You don't believe that little old you can make a difference? You don't believe that God can use somebody that's insignificant to some people and make them significant to all people? This is what Saul was doing. This is who Saul was in the text. But catch this, verse 34 through 37. I love David in this text because David... He said, you ain't checked my travel card. He said, I'm a shepherd. And listen, David says, listen, I had lions and bears try to attack my sheep. And occasionally what would happen is that there would be a lion or a bear that would grab my sheep and I would leave the rest of my sheep to go chase this one lion and this one bear all by myself. And every time that I had to do it, guess what? I've slayed the lions and the bears. David shows us that my courage is directly connected to my confidence. So if we can't, if we can't be believers that have courage, why can't we be believers with courage? Because we don't have confidence. 
Some of y'all ain't checked God's track record. Some of us need to go home today and just grab a piece of paper and write down everything that God has done for us over and over in our life. This is what gave David the courage to win this next battle. He went from a lion to a bear, and now he's going to fight a giant. You don't realize how your small situation set you up for your big situation. There are some things that you went through, you lost, you found in a small setting that has got you right where you need to be for the big setting. David didn't just say, I fought a bear. And because I fought a bear, I can beat Goliath. David says, I fought a lion and a bear. So if I can beat two of them, I can beat one of him. Every time it went from being one side to a next side. See, when I first started, it was just finding a sheep that was lost. Now I got to protect my sheep. And now that God has elevated me from just protecting sheep and anointed me, (coughs) I have to be in a position where I will protect my people. God is elevating you to do bigger things which this is the reason you're facing bigger problems. God is elevating you to a better position. This is why you're looking at harder problems. It's not the fact that you can't overcome it, but it's the fact that who much is given, much is required. I'm sorry, listen, I, I would be a fool to think when we hit 1,500, 15,000 members that I'm still going to have some 30,000 member problems. It's going to be bigger problems. Matter of fact, Pastor Ed Young of Fellowship Church said it when I went to his last leadership conference. Listen, y'all think we have it all together just because it looks good. When I first started, I had a problem with just getting three volunteers. Now every Sunday, I'm having a problem finding 300 volunteers. His problems just got bigger. So we have to understand as believers, we're going to constantly have problems. The great thing about it is our problems can't hinder us from our purpose. That's the great thing that we understand. We we, we can have these problems, but they're just there for show. Because what these problems do, they validate who God has truly called. This problem in the face of Saul was an issue that he couldn't get through. Because why? He was not validated as the anointed king by God. But when David shows up and he's been anointed, when he does what he's about to do, it validates who David is. It validates who God is really standing with. People begin to look at a track record of how God, matter of fact, later on in the text, what happens is King Saul has an issue and they begin to get upset because they're screaming out that David has slow thousands and Saul has just done a hundred. He begins to have problems with David because of how God begins to elevate him. I need us to begin to have a courageous heart by having a confident heart. How can we be confident? Remember the things that God has already done for you. Just like you keeping track record for every bad thing, start keeping track records for every good thing. Start telling everybody, you know why you keep feeling like these bad things keep coming? Because you keep harping on the bad things. David ain't go through and talk about the sheep that he lost to a, a, a lion or a bear. At one time, he came through and said, listen, I slayed him. I beat a lion and a bear. I may have lost to a goat, but so? I beat a lion and a bear. Stop harping on the problems that you've lost, the things that you've done wrong. Begin to talk about the things that you've done good because when any time that you face an issue, you'll remember that if God brought me through this, he'll bring me through that. I miss the church of old where we used to testify. The saints would stand up and tell you they would sing their favorite song, clap their hands, stomp their feet, and give an honor to God and all those in the house of the Lord on today. And they would tell you about how God has what? 
brought them over. I don't care if it was just a light bill. I don't care if it was a car that got repossessed. Whatever it is, I still made it. And it would give us the strength and the courage to keep pushing on, to keep doing what God has asked us to do, to keep fighting. I, I could come there and I could be having the hardest day of my life. Things could be going utterly wrong. I want to give up. The only reason I'm there is to cry this day. But I hear that testimony and I remember that because of this, I can face tomorrow. Because of everything that if God did it for you, he'll do it for me. And so we put ourselves in a position where we continue to fight, continue to grow strong. And so then we come to the point, now when we understand that we have a confident heart, what we have to realize is that an obedient heart is a consistent heart. Yeah. That's strong. That Baptist almost came out of me right there. An obedient heart is a consistent heart. What does that mean? Look at verse 38 through 40. When we look at verse 38 through 40 of the text, the Bible says, Then Saul clothed David with the garments and put a a bronze helmet on his head, and he clothed him with his armor. So Saul didn't have on his uniform. He threw it on David. David girded his sword over his armor. Bible says that he went on after he girded his sword with his armor and, and he tried to walk. What? He tried to walk in Saul's armor, but there was a problem for he had to not test them. So David said to Saul, I cannot go with these. Whoa. For I have not tested them. And David took them off. Stop trying to walk in somebody else's shoes. Listen, David realized something right there in the text, that if I'm going to win this battle, I have to be consistent with everything that I've done. I can't be wavering in my walk with Christ. I can't be shaky with what God has done for me. I, I have to be consistent. What I use with the lion and the bear is the same thing I need to use now. Why is it when we get new problems that we try to change the recipe? I told y'all I got an issue with that. When I like my food one way, don't come and tell me that you ordered something different. I like my recipe to stay the same. If I said I liked it, I liked it. Now leave it alone. Don't add cheese if you didn't put cheese last time and come and ask me how does it taste. And then I tell you I don't like it simply because you have done something different. Keep it the same. If God is blessing you and utilizing you, keep it the same. Why change up the recipe? Oh, I can do a little something different now because God, God's anointed me and I, Listen, you're going to find yourself right in that same position Saul had. Because Saul got a big head. He was anointed, and he went what? Trying to claim stuff that wasn't supposed to be. He got there from what? Being humble and obedient. And now he loses it. Why? Because he lacks humility and obedience. Stop changing your recipe as it relates to your walk and your lifestyle with God. Allow God to use you. And if God is using you, that means he's happy with what he sees. He's happy with what you're doing. What do you mean, Pastor? He's happy with you coming to church. He's happy with you praying. He's happy with you fasting. He's happy with you giving up some of your old habits. So what makes you think now that God has elevated you, you can bring some old things back into your life? You can, you can make some things different. I had a friend of mine. I'm friends with this couple that they split up. They're not together anymore. Uh, and I actually met the young man through the young lady. And uh, I'm friends with the young man on Facebook. And some of y'all ladies, this is going to bless your heart because I need y'all to stop Facebook stalking. Her ex, which is my good friend, is on Facebook. And he, he got some new glasses. And I liked his page and said, look and fly. I just, I just liked it and said, look and fly. I hadn't talked to him. 
in, in a while, but I said, liked it and look it fly. She then messages, messages me. You know, you can call people versus messaging now. So it's just not about giving people your phone number no more. They can call you no matter what. So she calls me via messenger and says, I need you to stop liking his page. Ooh. What, what do you mean you need me to stop liking his page? Hello, it's, it's nice to hear from you. I'm glad you're doing okay. I need you to stop liking his page. Why do you, why do you need me to stop liking his page? Because he has blocked me. And I see that you're liking his page, and you told him that he's looking fly. He don't want to talk to me. You met him through me. You can't talk to him. Whoa, whoa, whoa. First of all, let's recap and look at some situations. How did he block you, but you're able to see his page? Uh, you don't have to worry about that. Uh, yeah. That's some stalker mentality. Don't act like y'all don't know what I'm talking about in here. If she did it, some of y'all doing it too. And, and, and so... She wants me to stop being his friend because of the fact that he doesn't talk to her anymore. And I had to tell her, I said, listen, I told you a long time ago that you're going to have a lot of problems in your relationships. Why? And she said, and I told her, because of the fact that you like to hold on to your exes. You think that your exes should be friends and that y'all should always be able to call. I've dedicated so many years of my life. You're the fool giving them so many years their exes for a reason there are some people who are divorced that don't even talk to each other as much and they got kids together but you want to be able to talk to your exes and I said listen man he called me he's actually finna get married uh, I'm excited for him he's supposed to come visit our church one day I'm really excited for the direction he's going he's over you he, he's moved on and he's getting married oh I'm sorry you didn't know that uh, <laughs> you were blocked my bad uh, and and I didn't mean to let that slip out. That wasn't my business to tell. And so, so then I had to get her to understand is that you have to let him go. You cannot try to keep dragging him into your tomorrow. He's your ex. Well, I was with him seven years. So what? We're laughing at her, but the thing is some of us, are dragging seven years' worth of addictions into a new life with God. Some of us are dragging three and four years of financial irresponsibility into a new life with God. When we have to let go of these things, and the biggest issue is that once our life gets where it's supposed to be, because I asked her, how long, when was the last time you talked to him? Oh, about a year ago. So you've been doing fine for a whole year, but now you want to reach out to him again? Some of us get to a point in our lives where God is elevating us and we, we are just at the point where we should be over everything that we once went through, but we have to find our way back to the hood. We have to find our way back to that place that was full of good negative memories. And now we're saying, well, God, I'm thankful for I'm here, but let me go back and grab Tom and bring him with me. God said, listen, Tom wasn't right for you then. What makes you think he's right for you now? What got you to this point? Focusing on myself and studying my, your word and praying. Keep doing it. If you continue to want to grow and you continue to want to get whatever it is that God has for you, keep doing it. Keep doing what you're doing. Because if you change the recipe, you're going to have problems. If your marriage or your new husband or your new financial situation is your new blessing, keep doing what you're supposed to do while you got your old blessings. And when it's come to a point that God knows you're ready for it, guess what he would do? He will give it to you. Don't get to the point where you think that you, you think, you think 
that you've got yourself emotionally and spiritually stable, and now you can go find your man. No, God is supposed to be sending you one. So David says that I'm going to be consistent. I can't wear your armor. I got to grab my slingshot. David not only grabs his slingshot, his wood, his sticks, he grabs it, and the Bible says that he goes down and finds three smooth stones. This is where my Baptist preachers get happy. Because the thing about David is that he understood that not only was it Goliath, but Goliath had two sons. And so a good Baptist preacher that just want to misinterpret the text altogether, he, he, he will get there and he will tell you that he grabbed it just in case his son stood it up. But, and then there's other ones that tell you that he, he grabbed it, one for the father, one for the son, one for the Holy Spirit. I don't know why David grabbed it. <laughs> but I know he grabbed three. And I know with those three stones, all he needed was one. All he needed was one. Why is that important? You don't need a second, third, fourth, fifth chance to get it right. Do it right the first time. If you do it right the first time, I'm guaranteeing you that as a having an obedient heart, you will have a conquering heart. Uh, why is that big to us? Because God ain't made nobody soft. Everybody that God made calls and anoints, he calls them to be victorious over whatever situation is in his life. Listen, stop stressing about your relationship. Stop stressing about your finances. Stop stressing about your housing. Stop stressing about your job. Stop it because it's a problem. And the thing is, your problem can't keep you from your purpose unless you start focusing on your problem more than you focus on your purpose. David, David goes. He goes. Catch it on the app. Catch it on the app. <laughs> David goes. He goes to that battle line, and, 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 and Goliath does the same thing. And I'm going to get y'all out of here. I hope the Cowboys didn't play at 12. If they did, I love y'all. God bless you, God. Well, I can hold you. Come on, let's preach. Let's preach. David gets to a point, and he goes to that line, and he has his three stones, and he has a slingshot. Everything is loaded, and he's ready, and it's about to go down. And Goliath tries to pull that same stunt. And he comes out, chest out. The Bible says that his armor was so bright, the sun was popping off of it. It made it look like it was gold. His shield was so big that he didn't even want to carry it himself. He had a man that carried his shield out there for him. And he comes out there, and he begins to look at David in the face, and he mocks him, talking about, this is what y'all going to send to me? This little thing. Didn't I tell y'all if I whoop y'all, then you will have to submit and surrender to us, and you'll be our slave. And obviously, y'all know y'all ain't going to beat me because this is what you said? And I want you to understand something, what makes David so strong. David is reminding him that you're fighting the army of the Lord. David reminds him that the Lord is going to fight my battles. Listen, you, you're looking at me. Woo, that's a blessed thank you, Holy Spirit. While the enemy is looking at you, he forgets that there's God standing next to you. That's the biggest thing that we have to understand with the things that we're going through. We're just a distraction for the enemy. Look at me. Yeah, I'm small. Yeah, I'm broke. Yeah, I'm struggling. Yeah, I feel hopeless sometimes, but guess what? My God don't. Yeah, uh, you're focused on me, but God is standing next to me. It's the God in me that's going to defy and defeat you. 
And so David stands there, and he becomes more than a conqueror. Why? Because he stands there understanding that I I am confident, I am consistent, I'm committed, I'm concerned, and the only reason that I'm here in this place is because God knows that I will be a conqueror after all this ends. He knows that I will be victorious after all this ends. David doesn't tell us that he's afraid None of that. Why? Because he has gotten everything together in his life. Listen, why is this important? Because I want you to stop being afraid when it requires you to be a good steward. When God is asking you to do something great, when God is asking you to be used, even when you think you don't have enough, you got enough. Because what God has given you is all that you need. And if you can utilize what God has given you, then God will give you the victory. Guess what happened? David didn't have nothing. He had a few little sheep. He was down there. He had these rocks, these stones. He slays Goliath. I want you to understand how great it was. He slays Goliath. Goliath falls. Right then, the victory should have been done. David understood it wasn't over. Because I want to make sure this fool don't get back up. David walks up to Goliath. He didn't have a sword of his own. And so he grabs Goliath's sword and he cuts off the head of his enemy. He cuts off the head of his enemy with the exact same thing that he thought he was going to use to slay him. Whoa, man. Why is this important? Because the enemy is putting things in your face that he thinks is going to be used to slay you. Somebody missed it. Your marriage is that sword that the devil thinks he's going to use to break you. But you need to be the one that slays the enemy, knocks him down, and takes grab hold of your marriage and say, my marriage will be the exact same weapon that I will use to slay you. Some of you are ready to quit your job tomorrow when you go in. You've already plotted. If they say one more thing to me, look at me the wrong way. I ain't coming back. My box is already packed. Matter of fact, I took some things home Friday just in case it go wrong. And what you got to understand is that job is the same weapon that God is asking you, let me use this to slay the head of your enemy. You got to stop running from your problems and allow God to use what he's giving you in the face of you so that you can become victorious. You have to allow God to use everything that you have Everything that the enemy thinks is going to work against you. Allow God to use it for your good. But the only way that you can do that is if you have an obedient heart. Stop saying you broke just because you don't have enough to think you can do whatever it is that you want to do later. You got enough to do what God is asking you to do today. Stop saying you lonely when you got a church full of people that love you. You won't have to have somebody laying in your bed to love on you. You got exactly what you need today. Stop saying you need a new job when God has blessed you with an old job. You need to find somebody that don't have what you have and be thankful for what you have today. Be a good manager over everything that God has given you in your life. And when you do right, you get right. When you do more, you get more. But as long as you're still playing this, woe is me, pity party, help me somebody, I'm lonely, I'm hurting, I'm sad, nobody loves me, I don't have enough, can somebody put gas in my car? And you don't keep calling on, listen, I can give you gas for the day, but it ain't going to bless you tomorrow. I'm sorry, my my finance is limited too. I need you to talk to God. He gave me what I needed today. Did he give you? If he didn't, check your relationship. We got to understand that our stewardship 
is directly related to how we feel about what God is asking us to do. What it is that God is asking us to do. How great it is. What God sees in us. What God wants to use in us. And the thing about God is he can use a small space, a small person, and do great things. It has happened time after time after time again. But what has to happen for it to take place? This person has to have a heart for God. This person has has to have a heart that's focused on what God is asking them to do. Your heart is the lifeline of who you are. It pumps blood throughout your body. The blood that your fingers bleed when you prick prick it or break a nail, it has processed its way through your heart. The blood when you scrape your knee has somehow found its way through your heart. There's not an inch, an ounce, a significant amount of blood in your body that has not at one point made its way through your heart. So what does that mean? If I want my hands to be of any value to God, my heart has to be of value to God. If I want my mind to be of any value to God, my heart has to be of value to God. My feet, my heart, It all goes back to my heart. So my challenge for you today is to develop an obedient heart. Be obedient in the heart first, and everything else will follow. Amen? Let's give God a hand clap of praise as we stand to our feet on today.